All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Today is May 26th, 2021, and the Bills are freshly into their organized team activities, and they actually open the doors to allow us to uh, see some of the practice on Tuesday. We're taping this on Wednesday, so we're, it's fresh in our minds. And uh, and yeah, we, we got to see kind of football, even though Sean McDermott said it's not really football during his press conference. But still, we got to see players being active on the field, going through some seven-on-sevens, positional drills, team drills, things like that. And uh, and yeah, there's some there's some fresh things we we can talk about, um, and and uh, and everything along those lines about what we saw from the field. And also later in the episode, we're we're gonna get into a little bit of the the issue that's surrounding the Bills, basically because they are the hub of what is happening. Um, or very controversial topic uh, is the whole idea of vaccination and, you know, meeting the threshold, some player thoughts on it and everything along those lines and how it could impact the season itself and how McDermott's comments can be interpreted. So we'll get into that um, later on in, in the episode, but first wanted to just touch on the football side of things, because I think that's what a lot of people are really like, they want to know about the 2021 Bills. And even though we didn't see pads or anything like that, um, they were on the field. Uh, they were without 10 players on the field yesterday by our count. It was uh, Devin Singletary, Taiwan Jones, Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Mitch Moore, Sterile Williams, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Starla Tulele, and Vernon Butler. Those were the 10 that were not there. But they had... 78 others out on the field and Matthew Fairburn when I know it wasn't much to go by but when you saw the players on the field for the first time in the 2021 iteration what was the first thing that really struck you um, based on what we saw on Tuesday yeah I think the absences do stand out first uh 70 plus players you hear that when sean mcdermott's talking and you think that's pretty good for voluntary otas especially everything going on between the nfl and the nflpa disagreements over what these workouts should look like and you know everything uh that goes along with that but a good chunk of the starting lineup was not there um you know josh allen was without his top two receivers basically the whole starting defensive line uh, outside of Ed Oliver um, wasn't there. A couple offensive linemen were missing. So you could sense a little bit of disappointment from Sean McDermott in that, only as far as he could take it, right? Because these are voluntary workouts. Uh, it's pretty you know, directly spelled out in the CBA that coaches cannot hint that they're anything other than voluntary. But he did make mention of the fact that you know, it's a good time to bring a team together. And the best way to do that is to physically be together. And they were missing a lot of those guys. They did have their quarterback, you know, they had some, some key pieces and they were able to get some work in. But when, you know, the, a lot of the key players aren't there, uh, particularly up front and, you know, in the receiver uh, depth chart, it kind of throws off getting a picture of what what they look like and it's hard to do anyways like you said it's a 
not a 100% football situation. You know, they weren't going full speed in every drill. There's no contact and things like that. But because of those absences, some guys were able to stand out a little bit. And I think Gabriel Davis and Isaiah Hodgins, two of the second-year receivers, uh, both kind of took took hold of that opportunity and, you know, got those extra reps with, with Josh Allen. Jake Kumaro made a few uh, mm-hmm. decent catches. Um, Hodgins is still on the red red jersey. Zach Moss still on the red jersey. Cody Ford in the red jersey. But just like last year with Hodgins, even though he had some time in a red jersey in training camp, I, I feel like he looks the part and, you know, has the makings of being a guy that can can contribute. He's just in a really crowded receiver room and it's harder to make the team at that position than it has been in the past but if he can get healthy stay healthy and translate what he's doing into contact and you know when when pads are on then maybe they have something there that was considered a very deep receiver draft and you know they double dipped at that position they they had some faith in Hodgins so I found him to be a guy that that stood out and I I look forward to seeing him in full contact situations once he's Mm -hmm. physically able to do it because we haven't gotten a lot of of looks at that and we've seen a lot of guys stand out without pads on in the past in the spring you know the des lewis's of the world uh where it doesn't translate when pads come on so i'll be curious to see if hodgins can make that jump but i thought so far he looks looks pretty good how dare you besmirch Des Lewis so early on in the podcast? It is May, my friend. He's the, uh, May is Des Lewis season. I feel like <laughs> I is. think of him every uh, every May. I end up thinking of Des Lewis and the the great springs that he used to have uh, here in Buffalo, and never quite put it all together. Uh, but he was uh, the May MVP for a while. Staying power. Um, we might have to name an award after Des Lewis by the end of uh, training camp. For, for the guy that was fool's gold in the spring. Um, but yeah, that, he was a he was a draft pick of the Bills way back when. I think it was 14 or 13. I can't remember which. Maybe 15. But um, yeah, the, you always have to be careful uh, because of the Des Lewis's of the world. But I, I do like what you said about Isaiah Hodgins. And I, you know, the, the physicality part of it is where I think he could shine because just going back and watching his stuff from college, because we didn't see anything from Isaiah Hodgins last year. Like he was out at training camp for just a handful of practices. um, And then was basically on the sideline from that point forward. He got on the field once they fired up his um, injured reserve three week window. And he was on the practice field for like, I think one or two days. So we really haven't seen anything, but going back and, you know, reading my uh, my post-draft study of him and, and what he is, I mean, that's that's a guy that the Bills just don't have right now. He's got size. I mean, he doesn't have the incredible speed, but he's a good route runner. He's got good footwork that can gain separation, and uh, he's prob- probably has the best hands. Uh, at least he's in contention to have the best hands on the team. Uh, with how how easily he just ropes everything in, at least he did in college. So we'll we'll see what he can do um, in the NFL. But that's got to be someone that that the Bills have to be having at least some hope for, just to be the fifth wide receiver or to fill out the the depth chart um, 
as as the sixth wide receiver, he's a very compelling case, and you know that it'll be an interesting battle between him, Isaiah McKenzie, um, Marquez Stevenson, Jake Kumaro, all of these different guys. Maybe even throw Brandon Powell in there if he can start to flash as a uh, as a kick returner, but. I think Hodgins is the one that is going to be one of the the interesting ones to track this summer. Um, And along the same draft class, Gabriel Davis basically was the bell of the ball yesterday because Cole Beasley was there, but Cole Beasley really wasn't like practicing. He ran some routes um, with the quarterbacks in routes versus air, but really did not wear his helmet. And it is just... It was basically Gabriel Davis as the top receiver on out on the field on uh, on Tuesday, and he you can you can definitely see the natural ability from him. Um, you know, not to go completely overboard with with a spring workout, but he he does look like he bulked up a little in a good way. Um, he he still shows the the good. Hands at the catch point, strong hands, um, can get down the field in a hurry. Uh, the one area that I thought maybe I didn't love, but again, it's spring workouts and there's not a lot of physicality in route running. So this is where it may change. Uh, you know, on a change of direction route, uh, I noticed it was just a little, he was a little bit, um, uh, a little bit tight in in moving from, from one direction to the other. And that was... Uh, that prevented him from gaining a ton of separation on a, on a potential route or, or something like that. And whereas some of the other guys that were out there that, that ran a similar route, um, it, they, it looked a lot cleaner, a lot smoother. So maybe that's just not a, a route for, for Davis, or maybe that's something he has to, you know, he has to use his physicality to win on. But other than that, Davis looked like a, a solid, a solid guy out there. And, Again, there's there's not too much to be to look at from an overwhelming lens with these spring workouts. But all that said, the uh, you have you have at least a a little bit to go on more so than you did last year because now there's a full three months that have passed, three four months that have passed uh, from from the season, and you're starting to figure out who these guys are this year, what they'll be, and what kind of role they'll play. Yeah, you get kind of a picture of, you know, who's who's put in a, a significant amount of work, especially younger guys, if they've, you know, kind of changed their physique and, you know, put on weight, dropped weight, whatever it may be. A.J. Epinesa falls into that camp. Sean McDermott said he, you know, hasn't seen him in this good of shape ever, um, you know, and obviously that's only a year um, that they've been together, but encouraging for a second-year player who spent a good chunk of the offseason in Buffalo working out. I think he had a brief break back home, but came back and, and spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in the facility and, you know, has kind of hit the ground running. No real contact, pass rush type of situations here, but it's easy to overlook the fact that he didn't have any of this last year. You know, the the technique work, the work in the weight room, and the work with, you know, the professional staff. So I think that piece of it for Epinesa could be, um, you know, a bit of a benefit. He's also now in a pretty crowded 
defensive end room, and I'm sure that's going to light a bit of a fire under him to get whatever snaps he can and take advantage of them. I'd look forward to seeing training camp and seeing what he looks like there because that's a a completely different animal for guys on both lines, which is part of Mm -hmm. why the absences overall, while you look at it and think, man, you know, that's a good chunk of the starting lineup. And particularly this work seems a little bit more valuable for quarterbacks, receivers, the offensive and defensive line, not that it's a waste of time, but they're not getting as much done on the field other than some technique stuff. And, you know, that stuff's valuable. I think, I don't know that Jerry Hughes needs the technique work. Uh, I don't know that Mario Addison needs it. I'm sure they want those guys there to show the, you know, show the young guys the way, uh, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham and Epinesa. But overall, it's hard to, to get a picture of what those guys look like other than the fact that, you know, AJ Epinesa has clearly gotten his body right and he's, he's ready to, you know, handle a full season. And I I think he started to come along a little bit at the end of last season. That could be a huge, Mm -hmm. huge boost to this team if he's able to to step up and, uh, you know, take on a bigger role. And I think the same goes for Ed Oliver, who's also, you know, in the building and, and working and, and, you know, getting the, the reps in on the field how valuable they are is is obviously up for debate but i think it's a big year for those two players in particular this defensive line could take a big jump it's easy to look at the additions that they just made but knowing the development that has to take place at that position in particular i think looking at the guys that are year two year three and waiting for them to to break out and reach their ceiling is probably more realistic in terms of immediate contributions, although I, I would still think that Rousseau and Basham will will provide, you know, production in spurts at times as rookies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Epinesa is fascinating to me because, you know, McDermott doesn't really like go out of his way to, to rave about a, a player. I mean, sometimes he'll, he'll uh, do the old, we need to see more thing just to send a message publicly so that way it gets gets delivered and we've seen that time and time again but he doesn't really like like um it do- doesn't really go over the top with a bunch of his guys and so when when he said the thing that he did about Epinesa it's like okay well that that certainly right brings up the level of what we could be expecting from him this year or maybe even what they could be expecting from from him this year and the fascinating part about him is that when they immediately drafted him, Brandon Bean said, oh, we we uh, slot him in as a left defensive end in, in our scheme. And I feel like that has been completely thrown away because he changed his body type. So he's not that, not that super long, um, not really, it, it doesn't move as well as, as what, you would, uh, what you would want on the um, on the right side going up against the left tackle. I mean, Epinesa has completely changed his body composition, um, and it, he looked quicker last year than I ever saw from him uh, being at Iowa and all and all of those reps. You could see it, you know, really early on with training camp where he started to flash some speed. Where it's like, whoa, what, where the heck did that come from? But he he did sacrifice some of the power that he played with at Iowa. 
So this year, I wonder if maybe they they look at him because they said something similar with um, with uh, with Greg Russo after the draft this year, saying you know he he probably looks like a left defensive end in our scheme. So I wonder if that has completely flipped the the script on AJ Epinesa to where now they view him as the potential long term right defensive end, which is a pretty important spot, and which puts even. A, a touch more pressure on on him to perform, especially when, you know, the other guy over on that side by the end of last year was Mario Addison. And Brandon Bean effectively said uh, right after the draft that they want to lessen Addison's role and to keep him fresher. So that, that could potentially pushes a huge role for A.J. Epinesa in, in his second season to where he's playing upwards of 60, 65% of snaps, which... You know, you really didn't see coming based on how things started last year. But uh, to his credit, he he kind of turned it around by the end of the season. Yeah, he would be a huge player, uh, you know, if he could take that step. As a second-round pick, you expect a certain level of production out of a player like that. And I think he's sort of the, you know, the sleeping giant on that defensive line if, if he can get things going. And I think it might help to have – uh, you know, move them around to different spots. Uh, they have an interesting mix of players on the defensive line where three of them, three of the defensive ends could realistically kick inside in pass rushing situations and have done it before, Epinesa being one of them. But if he's changed his, if they've changed the plan for him and he's changed his body to the point where he's, you know, more of, you know, a guy that can can win off the edge. That's sort of something that they're not necessarily. They're kind of lacking beyond Jerry Hughes, I would say, uh, at the mm-hmm. moment. And actually, they do have four guys that could kick inside because I forgot Mario Addison uh, can probably do it as well. So, yeah, if he could sort of continue to learn under under Hughes and find a way to be eighty percent of the player that Hughes is or Hughes yeah. has been at least. I think that's that's a pretty big win, and it, it's certainly not too late for him to develop into that player by any means. And I think it's easy to to get caught up in thinking that way because he wasn't anything spectacular as a rookie. But neither was Jerry Hughes once upon a time. You know, some of these guys take a little while, especially at, at defensive end. He's not Chase Young, who's you know jumping in and you know wrecking games right away, but. He could certainly get to that point. You wonder what the ceiling is. That's always sort of been the question with him, um, you know, with his physical traits. But it seems like he, he's put in a lot of work to to get his body into, a, you know, a position where he could be that type of player. So, yeah, he'll be near the top of my list of, of guys to watch mm-hmm. when the pads come on for sure. Yeah, um, that defensive line just is, is so important. I know you outlined it a little bit with Oliver and just getting – production from the young players on the roster is going to be huge for them because they're running it they're running everything back and the really the the biggest difference they have is that they're they added two pieces to the defensive line and they're hoping that the uh other the other pieces that they've already drafted will take a take a step forward so that is number one on the list of what needs to change 
in 2021 because, you know, the Bills can get by another year without having their running game be a huge factor because their passing game was was so prolific. But uh, there were so many times last year where where the defense just let them down and because they couldn't get couldn't get consistent pressure from all across the line. So they need those young players that they have invested heavily in to hit. And, and that's, that's going to be the biggest thing. The other, um, the other player I wanted to touch on that I I thought, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect from him. Um, especially with, with the fact that it was only a one year, very low, low cost contract. But I, I was, I was pretty impressed by Jacob Hollister yesterday you know, it, he moves incredibly well um, for, for the tight end position. And just comparing his routes compared to uh, compared to Dawson Knox, just one after the other, you know, you could definitely see he had a lot more twitch, a lot more speed in his cuts and, every, and everything like that. And we have to, again, couch this because they're May OTAs and, you know, it's taken with a grain of salt because they're not in full pads. They're not going up against defenders that are being physical with them, everything like that. But just from a raw athleticism standpoint, it was tough not to notice Hollister out there with, with how well he was moving. I mean, Knox is, is a pretty athletic guy himself, but he's not this over the top athlete uh, at the position that I think some people think he is. So, I just wonder about about that little split and and what they're going to do with those two guys because I do think that Hollister actually gives them something that they don't have they didn't have last year. I mean Tyler Croft was basically um, the same. Uh, well, he was kind of a more of a lumbering tight end. He, you know he had he had good athleticism, but you can tell he had lost a step based on all the injuries. And that that was kind of who he was as a as a backup tight end, and he wound up not even being active by the end of the season. And then Lee Smith, we all know what he was. He was a block first tight end, everything along those lines. But I just wonder when they go in the the two tight end sets, if maybe tight end is is a little bit bigger of an impact this year with as long as Hollister is um, continues to show that athleticism. And the secondary part of it is. Okay, so what happens if Dawson Knox begins to struggle? Now, this is completely in the weeds, but they do have a precedent set here. I mean, Zay Jones got two years um, in in a pretty prominent role. And then I think it was around the fourth or fifth week that they're just like, all right, we don't see it. And then they completely removed his his snaps, and then he was traded like a day later. I don't think they're going to trade Dawson Knox just because um, they, if he starts to struggle, just because they probably want to give him another full year, at least in a in a B role, if not the A role. But you know, Hollister, he's got some game to him. So uh, that that's just one that that kind of perked my eyebrows up. Just, just because he, I mean that that's a spot that is not at all decided throughout the entire season. So maybe maybe Hollister is a, a deep, deep, deep sleeper this year. Yeah, I think there's no real competition for that number two spot other than Tommy Sweeney, and mm-hmm. the number one spot is really uh, Dawson Knox does not have the strongest grip on that. Um, mm-hmm. He hasn't done anything to 
earn that at this point, you know, the, the unquestioned starter role. They'll give him every chance to grab hold of it and, you know, show what he can do. I think there's a fair amount of faith in what he can become, as shown by the fact that Hollister is really the only competition that they brought in, but he is probably more legitimate competition, uh, you know, than than maybe some people think because exactly he's not. And the reason being is probably because he's not trying to unseat somebody who's long established. He's unseating a guy who or trying to unseat a guy who hasn't been consistent enough. And so maybe Dawson Knox, if he can stay healthy and, you know, put together a good training camp, he hasn't really been able to do that, um, you know, at all uh, in his career. Maybe that could help him get off to the right start. But I think it's, you know, pretty wise of them to have a solid number two. It'll be interesting to see what what Tommy Sweeney can do. You know, it was encouraging to see him back on the field after what he went through last season, um, you know, dealing with COVID and the heart complications and missing the entire year. If he can, you know, start to get back to where he was before that, he's a a guy that could have a long-term future as that two slash three. But I Mm -hmm. think, you know, having Hollister as you know an option in there is is a good move i think you can run some two tight end sets maybe you can ease the burden on dawson knox a little bit because he did get targeted a fair amount um considering how deep they were at wide receiver and how often they ran four receiver sets and how much dawson knox was in and out of the lineup they do like to go to him Uh, they like to go to the tight end position and josh allen has worked with hollister before so Mm -hmm. you know if, if that starts to become a more comfortable target for Allen, then, uh, you know, I could see him getting more and more targets and it doesn't have to be a, a situation where, and it never is really with, with this team where one guy's getting a hundred percent of the snaps, right? It could just be that he eats into Knox's snap count a little bit more and, you know, more and more, you know, he could start to, you know, earn that trust. It'll definitely be a training camp situation to watch, I think, because, uh, a big part of it for me is the fact that Knox has trouble staying on the field. And mm-hmm. those are moments that Hollister could take advantage and continue to build, you know, kind of a chemistry with Josh Allen and, and really, you know, earn a spot uh, if, if Knox can't stay healthy. So uh, definitely a big summer coming up for Dawson Knox. It already was going to be. And, you know, the addition of Jacob Hollister seems like it'll make, make it even more so. I know there's, you know, been people – hoping for Zach Ertz or, you know, one of the bigger name tight ends out there. But I think Hollister fits their offense pretty well, um, mm-hmm. you know, at first glance, seeing what he can do. And I think there's a chance that that he'll carve out a role one way or another, you know, regardless of what Dawson Knox does. Best case scenario is Knox stays healthy, takes a step forward, and they've got two tight ends uh, that can do something. I think he has a chance to be he, – he's certainly much quicker than um, Tyler Croft. Uh, you know, and certainly oh, yeah. a, a different option in the passing game than Croft was. So uh, I think at the very, you know, the best case scenario is all of a sudden they have a pretty good two tight end set, not the best two tight end set in football, but sure. um, one that can work given how, give, give them a different look. Uh, you know, last year it was so dependent on the receivers, uh, having a different, a different pitch in the arsenal, so to speak, could, could certainly benefit this offense. 
Yeah, the the point you made about Hollister having the the link with Josh Allen uh, is an important one. I mean, they played together at Wyoming. Hollister was one of his favorite targets um, in Allen's second to last college season. Uh, went before Hollister went on to the NFL. I mean, Hollister has produced in the NFL the last two years uh, with Seattle. He had 66 catches, and that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, for for a guy who has just kind of been in and out of the lineup, want to see what he does on special teams, want to see what he does blocking. But the other part of this is I also think it's a, a pretty interesting thing that we're talking about Jacob Hollister (laughs) <laughs> and it just to just to show show us what everyone's thoughts about Dawson Knox are heading into this season, like the expectations are not high for him. And if he, like, I think I think the Zay Jones um, plane here is probably the right one for Knox. Like, if if he doesn't produce, it's his third it's his third year. Like, they know that they those receiver positions, tight end positions, they take a while to develop. But at some point, you have to make the call. And, you know, maybe... I remember for Zay Jones, it wasn't like a... It wasn't like a huge name that that um, that they supplanted him with. But still, they they moved on. And they moved on quickly. You know, I, I, I just wonder. I mean, Knox has to bring it. He probably has the, the most pressure on the offense this year to produce out of everybody because he has the most to lose. So yeah, that, that, that'll be uh, an interesting one. Did it, did anything else uh, catch your eye from, from OTAs? I thought Dane Jackson looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, he looked confident, uh, made some plays and had an interception towards the end of practice. It was sort of a, not quite a full speed uh, red zone drill, but still, I think, showing confidence is a huge trait for corners and it's one that he's going to need as a later round pick uh, in a competition going up against Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders on a daily basis. That's going to require the ability to handle some ups and downs and, you know, dealing with this passing offense, he's not going to win every single day. And he's certainly not going, if he wins the job going up against number two receivers all the time, he's not going to win all of those matchups either. So seeing a little bit of that from him, not that we didn't see it last year, but it's hard to have that as a rookie seventh mm-hmm. round pick, you know, that, um, that, you know, unwavering confidence in yourself and it'll certainly be tested, but you could just see a little bit of a different air about him. Like he knows, what's been said about him this offseason. He knows what Brandon Bean has said repeatedly. He knows what the team did, probably more importantly, or what they didn't do uh, in addressing that position. And he sees a path to the starting lineup, seems ready to uh, to take a run at it. So I thought it was a good start for him. It, it was, you know, it can go either way um, when you have all that pressure on you and, uh, and all that attention uh, and, you know, Brandon Bean's not talking about every player on the roster in the offseason. You know, he's a guy that um, got brought up quite a bit and he's been been talked about. And I'm interested to see how he how he kind of handles that spotlight. I feel like OTAs are a good chance to get a, a preview of what to watch in training camp, you know, get some hints mm-hmm. at what to watch in training camp. And Dane Jackson, we already knew would be 
um, one to watch um, when training camp opened, but uh, I'm even more interested now just seeing him, you know, especially because he's not going up against Stefan Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders right now, but you would think um, when those guys get back, assuming, you know, we'll see Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson both get, get a chance at that starting job, uh, those one-on-ones and all those situations that can become a real grind as training camp wears on, uh, it's going to be fun to see how he handles it. Yeah, most definitely. He, uh, it seems like he is really relishing the opportunity. Um, and yeah, that's That's going to be a fun battle. That'll be, um, probably the, the biggest competition for Levi Wallace so far, um, since ever since his second year in the league. And Levi, it looks like he's done a little bit of work in the offseason, too. He looks a little bit bigger than he was last year. I mean, the the weight gain is something that they've always wanted from him, and, and he's made st- steady improvements. But, you know, nothing – he doesn't really have the body type to just add just a ton of weight in the offseason in, in such a small amount of time. Um, and then, of course, once you get into the season, it's tough to keep that weight on and, and to continue to add – that that stuff so um but yeah he he looks he looks a little bit bigger this year so that that should be a uh, fun competition for sure all right let's let's get into the the other big portion of um what happened yesterday because it was the first time that sean mcdermott had, and josh allen have spoken publicly since some of the backlash um in terms of what josh allen said what Brandon Bean said, what uh, Cole Beasley said on Twitter. Um, it's about vaccination and, uh, and you know, the inherent potential competitive advantages and disadvantages that, that come along with um, either A, having your team entirely vaccinated with how the NFL is structured this year, or B, you know, not meeting the threshold of, of vaccination. And it's certainly... A hot button issue. We know that you know everyone, mostly everyone has a has a strong opinion on the act of vaccination. But this is less so about about uh, about uh, that in itself. It's more about how its impact on the NFL could become an issue this year. And McDermott's comments, I thought, uh, really reflected that in in what he was saying um, to the media on Tuesday. I thought Sean McDermott handled the situation very well. Um, It was his first comments, his first news conference since Josh Allen said what he said on Kyle Brandt's podcast back in April, uh, expressing hesitancy about the vaccine, saying he would need to do his research, but he didn't think it should be mandated. Uh, You know, everybody's choice to do what they want. And then Cole Beasley, um, probably what a couple weeks ago now mm-hmm. saying you know what he said on on Twitter about you know also expressing hesitancy I don't know that there was it was hard to find a true opinion in what Cole Beasley was was tweeting but he certainly you know expressed a lot of hesitancy about the vaccine and I don't think anybody read his tweets thinking that he was making an appointment to to go get his shot so it became, you know, it became sort of this situation where the Bills were the center of this conversation, especially when Brandon Bean went on the radio and said, you know, he's expecting, and the NFL has sent out a memo 
along these lines that there will be some threshold where you can get back to more sense of normal. They have not established what that will be and, Mm -hmm. you know, what a more of a sense of normal will necessarily look like, but there will be some sort of threshold more than likely. Um, Nothing is finalized in that regard. So that's, you know, still a missing variable here. But Brandon Bean said on WGR on, on One Bills Live that he would cut an unvaccinated player if it meant reaching that threshold. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to cut Josh Allen. Um, you know, it'll be bottom of the roster tiebreaker situation. But, you know, that was a hypothetical. The league, you know, then reached out to Brandon Bean and said, you can't say that. You can't do that. You can't cut a player solely because he's unvaccinated. But that's going to be a hard case for players to make. So, you know, this became very much a the Bills very much became the team at the center of this because of the opinions shared by some of their players. Um, Rachel Bush, Jordan Porter's wife, has been very outspoken on this and even tweeted at one point that she thinks more than half the team is in agreement, um, you know, and, you know, is, you know, siding with Cole Beasley, essentially. And you could see Gabriel Davis throw his support in for Cole Beasley. John Feliciano was... Um, doing the same for Josh Allen and Cole Beasley. So all of those factors make it one, you know, are they going to get to this threshold, which Sean McDermott said he's legitimately concerned about? And two, you know, is it an issue that could pull the team apart in some way, potentially? And I think Sean McDermott has the right read on it. You know, he he and Brandon Bean and Terry and Kim Pagula, they're all fully vaccinated. You could see that in the draft room video and Sean McDermott, you know, confirmed that yesterday. And, you know, I thought, you know, did a good job of laying out, you know, that it's the right thing to do for the team, right thing to do for your community. He even, you know, mentioned Tommy Sweeney and said, you know, if anybody Mm -hmm. needed more evidence of, you know, the importance of getting vaccinated and sort of the danger of the virus, that's it. You know, right there. That was his. That was his strongest uh, sentiment. The entire press conference, I felt. Yeah, he, I, I think, made it pretty clear on multiple occasions, without being heavy-handed about it, that mm-hmm. he thinks vaccination is the right thing for his players to do. I, going into it, thought Sean McDermott would one hundred percent feel that way for competitive reasons. I left it yes. feeling he feels that way for competitive reasons. And for, you know, the reason for the reasons a lot of people in society feel that way. A lot of people, um, you know, he Sean McDermott is meticulous in not only his research and study of, you know, what could give his football team a competitive advantage and different strategies and schemes and tendencies. You know, his his work ethic is well documented, but he's also a extremely extremely meticulous about his body and about his health and well-being and has undoubtedly talked to many people about this and you could tell that he feels feels that way but he didn't do it in such a heavy-handed way to you know turn off his players from the discussion entirely or alienate his mm-hmm. players He's trying to keep as many of those conversations in-house as possible while making it clear publicly that, you know, that is the route 
he would like his players to go. That's the route he went. That's the route Brandon Bean went. And he used the idea of, you know, he said he's not trying to convince players. He's just trying to educate players and build awareness. Now, maybe that triggers some people, but I think the sentiment is a good one. And I think it's a very tricky line for Sean McDermott to walk where he wants to he wants to reach that threshold for competitive reasons. He also doesn't want key players unvaccinated, potentially missing time, potentially causing a mini outbreak on the team of unvaccinated players that, you know, cost them a game potentially last year in Arizona, which he referenced and had cost other teams, you know, a a few games uh, and, you know, caused some issues with teams. But also, I think he wants to make sure that his his team isn't torn apart on the issue. And, you know, they have a pretty tight-knit locker room. And when you have the wife of one of your captains, one of your star players, saying that, you know, more than half the team, you know, isn't going to get vaccinated, that's a that should send off some alarm bells, I think, in your head. And for a lot of reasons, all these reasons that we mentioned. So he's doing what he can to try to get players to, you know, try to get his team to that threshold, which does involve convincing, educating, building awareness, whatever word you want to use, but doing so in a way that doesn't turn people away. Because it seems Mm -hmm. like the biggest gripe that Cole Beasley had was, don't tell me what to do. That seemed like the crux of his opinion in his tweets mm-hmm. was, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I'm making my own decision. And that's sort of the same, you know, with, you know, yesterday, Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds had the same line that they were keeping their decision in house and they weren't talking about it. They weren't going to share whether they'd been vaccinated. Josh Allen Tremaine Edmonds, like the team will know who has been vaccinated. And if we're allowed back in the building at any point, we'll have a pretty good idea too. If certain guys are still wearing masks or they're distanced from their teammates. So they do have to disclose it to those around them. They just didn't want to make it public, which on the one hand is fair. On the other Mm -hmm. hand, um, I think, Josh Allen opened Pandora's box on that issue when he said what he said on Kyle Brandt's podcast. Cole Beasley opened that box when he shared what he shared on Twitter. It's hard to be an in-house issue and also be public about it. And also it does impact what is going to happen on the field. It it impacts what's Mm going to happen in their building. And so that's sort of what comes along. You know, nobody's telling us to... You know, a lot of people tweeting about, oh, you know, respect his privacy. It's ridiculous that these questions are being asked. Nobody seems to share that sentiment when they want to know whether a guy, you know, whether his, you know, knee injury or his concussion, how he's progressing in that. People are, you know, hungry for that information. So is it the same exact thing one to one? No, but this could impact on field availability at some point uh, if it gets to that point. And as Sean McDermott mentioned, time's kind of running out. You know, six weeks from your first shot till you're considered fully vaccinated. And we're coming right up on training camp and what protocols could mm-hmm. look like for teams at training camp. So it's a multi layered, you know, thing. And I think overall they, they did a good job. It's not really a story until we see what their protocols are in training camp. You know, people keep saying, why do you keep asking Josh Allen about this? 
this was our first chance to talk to Josh Allen since he made those comments. Um, mm-hmm. you, you make a comment like that as the franchise quarterback and leader of a team, you're going to have to answer it. And if you're a big, you know, the, the research part, the, the press conference got a little bit cut short. Um, it was pretty brief, Josh Allen's. And, you know, I, the two things I was most curious about are one, you know, what he kind of learned about his platform and the power of his words um, by what happened on that podcast, but also what research he has done. Uh, because mm-hmm. the opinions here are not, you know, it's not picking your favorite color. It's not choosing steak or chicken at a wedding. Like it's not, a, you know, there to some extent when your decision is going to impact as many people as it will for Josh Allen, I think backing up said decision with research and facts might be uh, prudent. And again, perhaps he's doing that behind closed doors and keeping it all in house is one way to quiet the story a little bit. But Sean McDermott didn't keep his decision in house and he didn't back away from, from the issue. And I think he has, you know, it's another of many challenges he's had as a leader and he's passed almost every test as a leader, but figuring out Mm -hmm. how to keep everyone together while somehow getting to that threshold, because that will present a competitive advantage. If he's doing one thing in meetings and Bill Belichick gets to do another, that's not going to, that's not going to sit well with Sean McDermott. He's going to lose some sleep over that, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I I think what, what you said about what McDermott did was, was right on. I mean, he, he has his faults in press conferences at times, but you know, when a big issue like that comes across, I thought he he handled it extremely well, especially with the the overall volatility of the conversation. I mean, um, knowing what was at stake and having a potential alienating impact if he were to say something a little bit too heavy handed, as you put it, um, that that is very much a thing you have to weigh, especially with public comments. I mean, what you say behind closed doors certainly counts, and it and it counts a lot. But when you air these things out to the world, and and what you say um, to everybody, that means a lot to people. I mean, just just think about it, um, just in terms of a company you work for, like, let's say they, they, they say and do one thing when no one's watching and it's just, and it's just everyone behind in a closed door meeting. And then they go out and, and release a statement that, you know, kind of goes, well, what, what the heck is that all about? Um, at, at least making the employees think that way. I think what McDermott did was he was respectful enough, but also knowing that, this very well could be a key for them to keep everyone out there. And if and if what was insinuated is true and that over 50% of the roster is is not wanting or, you know, has not been vac- vaccinated at this point, then that very well could be a thing for them this year. I mean, just if it, if it takes out Josh Allen right before a playoff game um, because because he didn't get vaccinated or you know um, or it, it wipes out some of that defensive line group that uh, that 
has that they've invested so heavily in and and right before a big game where they need their pass rush i mean these are potential competitive disadvantages and yeah there's there's another game this year and so there's another opportunity but you know the odds are the bills are going to have at least some amount of regression from what they were last year it's not going to be the exact same thing as they had last year they'll probably face some challenges this season maybe they don't have uh, as good of a record last year and they have to really um the the playoff pushes just a little bit more where the, these these slim margins in the nfl i mean that's something that mcdermott talks about all the time and the reason why the I think the way that he put it was the reason why the NFL is, is such a popular thing is because anyone has the opportunity to win. And when you have these fine, fine margins and with, with something potentially as as big and as um, unpredictable as as covid and the pandemic and the impact that it had last year that, that we saw, you know, the, that that has to be number one in McDermott's brain going, okay, well, let's let's figure this out now because if, if they don't and it gets to it where it gets to the end of the season, that is 100% a competitive disadvantage for them. Yeah, it's, it, time is certainly of the essence in a way. And I think what they do behind closed doors is probably more important than what happened. You know, I do think there's some power and Josh Allen coming out and saying, you know, that he got vaccinated or or setting that example. But sometimes that's putting too much on these guys. It's more than a lot of them want. It's more than a lot of them, you know, deserve that type of, you know, pedestal that they get put on. So it's not even really that, Uh, you know, that would be great. You know, it's a weird thing about this whole thing is like, oh, everybody has the right to make their decision or share their opinion. We've really only heard from one side on this, other than Sean McDermott. Uh, From a player standpoint, we've really only heard the players who are, you know, vocally hesitant or against it. And I think it's fine if you want to, you know, hash it out in meeting rooms, behind closed doors. Part of why it's helpful to have everybody together at this time of year when there's issues like this that pop up. Uh, You know, last year it was... Um, everything that happened, you know, with George Floyd and the race conversations that were happening mm-hmm. um, behind closed doors, you know, I think that was, it's always more important to the team chemistry, what's happening behind closed doors, unless what's happening outside of those closed door meetings is, you know, so outrageous and distracting and, you know, affects what's happening. Uh, in those closed door conversations. So if they hash this out, find a way to figure it out, then great. Like I said, I don't think it'll be a story until we know what, you know, policies are kind of in place and what restrictions they might have because of this. And I think that's really the, where it will start again is, is what, what at disadvantage are they at because of decisions that individual players are making. And that's the conversation that they have to have. And yes, it's also a conversation of what, what guys want to do with, with their own bodies. And these are professional athletes. And I understand all that, but the decisions do have ramifications on the people around them uh, and everybody else in the Mm -hmm. building. And there's a lot of people in the building, you know, NFL employees 
have to get this to, you know, to take their masks off and, and return to work as normal. Uh, and the same, you know, I think a lot of it will depend on what gets agreed to between the NFL and NFLPA and what threshold or restrictions the NFL puts in place for teams, you know, that don't mm-hmm. hit that number. Those will be the variables that, and those are variables they might not have. I think at this point, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean are going off the information that they have, which is that there will be some sort of threshold and there will be some sort of restrictions and they want, they don't want to deal with any restrictions, anything that could not give them an edge. This is the best chance this team has had to win a Super Bowl in a long time, this 2021 team. Mm -hmm. And I think that alone might be the best tool to convince players that are on the fence is think of all the things they do that they don't want, that they wouldn't want to do or normally wouldn't want to do because for that goal, you know, to win a Super Bowl for the team, you know, stuff they put up with in practice, stuff they put in their bodies to deal with pain, um, injuries they play through with the team goal in mind. And I think that is probably the best tool. It takes everything else out of it and makes it about your teammates and, and football and everything else. So be an interesting story to follow over the, you know, mm-hmm. once training camp uh, comes around and, you know, maybe they can't go away to camp if they don't hit a certain threshold or maybe uh, it just looks different. So, And they certainly want to from the way that it sounds. Yeah, I think they want, I think like everybody else, they just want to get back to normal. They, they just yeah. want to have their their choice to go away to camp if that's what they want to do. They want to be able to operate the way they normally did. I think that's what everybody wants. And I think vaccination is the clearest path to get there for this team and, and for society as a whole. So I understand where Sean McDermott's coming from uh, in his comments, and I think – like I said, I, I thought he, he handled it very well. And, well, he'll have to continue to do so. It's not over. It wasn't just a, one press conference, nailed it, issues behind mm-hmm. us. That was a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, his public comments matter. He's an important person in this community and, you know, very much respected. And now it's about keeping that same respect and, you know, finding a way to make this a non-issue in the locker room. And... Mm-hmm. It'll be, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm not sure which way it's going to go from here. And I don't think we're going to know, uh, clearly until, you know, sometime closer to the season when we get a clearer picture of, of where this team is at and how they're operating and and what those rules actually are. Mm -hmm. I also think that, um, the way that was a clear strategy with the team, the way that, uh, Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds both answered the question about, you know, whether or not they were vaccinated slash, you know, um, whether or not it could become a divisive issue. I think that was a, uh, a firm bet as to, as to how they thought that this could dissipate a little bit from a, from a player asking perspective, but you know, it's it's pr- like like you said, this isn't just over because of you know one day of press conferences, but I think it's 
it is notable that they do have a united uh, united front as to how they're going to answer the question from a player perspective. And I think that was something that um, was kind of commonplace amongst uh, other leagues, like you know, Major League Baseball kind of kind of springs to mind how they just had basically like this this stock answer <laughs> throughout the throughout the league uh, about vaccination, COVID, everything along those lines. Um, and, and, you know, it, it became, you know, we're not in, in the weeds with baseball as much as we are with the bills here, but it became, you know, it, it didn't really become like the huge story that it feels like this is becoming with the bills, or at least it was heading into Tuesday. So from that perspective, they, they did a good job, but now the work isn't over because now it's the tough conversations in house. It's, you know, figuring out what is the best course of action to take as a team. It's it's the leaders uh, in the locker room stepping up to, you know, to discuss things and, you know, elaborate on why they decided to do what, what they decided to do. And, you know, maybe not even persuade, but just to inform and, and everything along those lines. Because, you know, if, like you said, if, if it comes down to it, to where, they're chasing a Super Bowl. That is like the pinnacle for a lot of these guys. And so then it becomes a, a situation of, okay, what is most important to you? Your beliefs on science versus whether or not you would be willing to put yourself at a disadvantage to potentially not even play in, in those big games that you've been working your entire life for. So it's, you know, I, that, that's, a, that's very much a, a personal decision. And I respect everyone having their own opinion on the matter, um, but it is at least a uh, an interesting decision that these players individually have to make, especially with with how much they have worked for a season like the one that the Bills are, are should have in 2021. Yeah, I do think it is less about the idea of needing medical, you know, needing these medical opinions or things like that to be out in the open. You know, a lot of people are like, who cares what a football player has to say about X, Y, or Z. It's less about that and more about potential availability. And, you know, I think it can be dangerous when you open your mouth to share an opinion and, in the same breath say, I need to do more research or I'm not a doctor, which are two lines that Josh and Cole Beasley used because that's not really helpful. You know, that's spreading uncertainty and misinformation in Cole Beasley's case and on a few things. And that's not entirely helpful. So they have to get from a place, you know, like I said, a lot of these opinions seem to boil down to don't tell me what to do. And we also have a problem, you know, in this country of people who don't want to change their mind on things and don't want to come off of their original opinion or the opinion that their side of the fence has agreed on. And, you know, it becomes sort of a part of your identity and you don't want to be told what to do and you don't want to change. And I think if they're serious about educating themselves and serious about you know, doing the research, then my guess is that research 
if you're you go into it with an open mind should lead you to the decision to to get the shot for a lot of reasons and perhaps the competitive one is the first one and you know i think if nothing else they all talk about sean mcdermott and the the detail he puts into everything and you know he certainly did plenty of research on this and i i think if they're if guys are willing to go into it with an open mind and perhaps that has started to happen because of the way sean mcdermott has approached this then it's something they can navigate and get through as a team and get to where they want to be but it's it's now a lingering question um and one that you know one of of many uh obstacles they'll face to, to get to a Super Bowl and perhaps it becomes sort of a, a galvanizing thing. Who knows? I mean, it could go a lot of different ways. Um, not normally something that NFL teams are thinking about in May, um, but you know, now it is. And it's one a lot of teams are probably thinking about and they might have similar issues behind closed doors. It's just that the Bills had it spill out into the public because a couple of players chose to share, share you know, their opinions publicly. And, and that's kind of what you invite that when you do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we'll we'll uh, see who we get to talk to next week, um, which players, and if if they have uh, media availability, which we think they they might based on what what the turnout that they had this past week. Um, so so that should uh, that should happen this coming week. Um, but but yeah, this will be a recurring theme. Until we know exactly what what is happening, or you know, potentially if if uh, things do not break the right way for the Bills in in during the 2021 season, so to be uh, to be continued, I I suppose. All right, Matthew Fairburn, um, any sage words of wisdom for the end of the show before we bid bid our listeners adieu for a couple of weeks? I feel like we we've knocked knocked out a lot of topics here we've got what we'll probably yeah. talk to people next right around mandatory minicamp perhaps previewing mandatory minicamp somewhere around there in, yeah, in a couple of that's weeks right so um certainly certainly coming up on feeling a little bit normal this calendar things like minicamp and then a little break before training mm-hmm. camp so it's nice to to feel a little bit of that these last few weeks Oh yes, and it was. I I don't know about you, but like when when I walked into the practice um, and I saw everyone was out of the, without a mask, I I thought to myself, "Whoa!" <laughs> like that was the first time where I had been out in public, and it was well, I've been out in public, but it was the first time where I was out in public, and it was like pretty much uniform that everyone that was vaccinated didn't have wear a mask outside and it was you know it, it you don't you don't really realize something would be as jarring as that but it, it was i don't know about you yeah it takes some some getting used to getting back to yeah for sure normal life we've gotten used to a strange world these last 14 15 months and slowly oh, have yes. to acclimate back to um somewhere in between i don't know if we're you know mm-hmm. how close we'll get back to 100 percent normal but hopefully sometime soon and um certainly was was a nice nice change up yesterday and um mm-hmm. hopefully you know we'll get to interview some some people in person at some point that would be a the next yeah. welcome change oh for sure and the football part of it helps too all right 
Um, so that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. Uh, if you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat and subscribe um, to read all of the stuff from both Matthew Fairburn and myself and Tim Graham and John Vogel on the Sabres as they uh, kick into draft slash off-season mode um, and then really any other sport you could care to read about. We've, we've got it all for you in one place for um, one low subscription monthly fee. Okay, so that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you in a couple weeks. See you then.